So welcome back to another episode of Turf to the Terraces podcast. As you can see, I'm joined by my host, Scott Goodwin, and also Phil Brown. How are you doing, guys? You all right? Very good. I'm fantastic. How are you, Scott? Yeah, I'm all right now, Brian. I mean, Phil, no problem. Just a minute, um, Matt, are you recording this? Yeah, it's all recording now. It's all recording. That's Just good. whirling our joke there. We've had about 20 minutes now trying to get Phil online with us. Um, we expected this from Nobby, not from Phil. So uh, <laughs> thanks for joining us, Phil. It's nice to have you on board. Um, for anybody who's not listened before, I just want to talk you through the context. The way this works is we try and separate, separate up into three different sections. The first section being the first half, and we talk about the good, the bad, and the ugly within the game. And we're going to try and take Phil's perception on that. Then we move into a half-time interval, where I'll have a little bit of a um, question for Phil, maybe a little bit difficult for him. And then second half, is going to be talking about his highlights and the lowlights of his career which I can imagine is going to be a lot of, because we only know the good and the bad for that, don't we? So, Phil, tell, tell, us, tell us how we started. Obviously, um, did you grow up wanting to be a footballer? Oh, that's a good question to start with. Um, I uh, had a background in the northeast, uh, northeast of England, and um, strangely enough, I've just been... Last night, I went to a game at the Emirates, seen okay. it, one, one of our great triumphs at Hull City. Yeah, uh, and I went back there as a, a director's guest, and it was a lovely, fantastic night. But it was it was to go to see the team that I supported as a kid, which was Sunday. Yeah, yeah. And uh, unfortunately, they were on the end of a five-one drubbing, uh, but a very good Arsenal performance. Anyway, long story short, um, as a kid growing up, I was taken to Newcastle by my father, uh, and sampled the Gallagher end, sixty odd thousand fans. Um, Fairs Cup in 1967, so I was only eight year old then, and I didn't quite—I uh, don't know where it was about um, St James's Park at the time. I just didn't didn't quite take to it, you know. And the next time I was really going to see a football match with one of my parents, who was my mother, took me to one of the games in the cup run where we won the uh, we won the FA Cup in 1973. And I say we, you know, because at the time <laughs> I was a son of supporter, yeah. and I have been ever since, you know. Uh, but whenever, whenever I've managed a team, that allegiance is by the way. You know, it's, it's, it goes by the wayside. Anyway, um, I was on the terraces for the, the cup run in and I didn't manage to get a ticket for the final. So I didn't go to Wembley to see the 1-0 win over Leeds. Oh. But I seen, a, I, seen a, I think it was the fifth round and the sixth round. Uh, one of them was against Arsenal. One was against Man City. Uh, two, of the, two of the great teams of, of modern era. Uh, and we, we beat them both on the way to, to the final. And uh, I just talked to it. I just talked to the Fulwell end more than what I did to the Gallagher end, if you like. Uh, I talked to the red and whites as opposed to the black and whites. Yeah. Um, what did I? What was I looking for as a as a supporter? I wasn't looking to one day become a player. I never. It never even crossed my mind them them days. I, I was really enjoying the supporting side of it. Stand on the terraces, get behind yeah. the team. And you know what I'm talking about. It's it's um, when you're passionate about it a football club when you're passionate about a sport you, you just want to get behind the team and make as much noise as you can and create an atmosphere so that the players want to play there you know that type of thing and I used to love going to the Fulwell end on a Saturday afternoon at one o'clock gates would open it would quarter past one yeah. and kickoffs at three o'clock there's none of this modern day stuff you know where everybody's warming up and doing lovely stretches and all the <laughs> dynamics and Goalkeepers have got their own section. They've got their own bag of balls. Everything's going on on the pitch. You can look at probably about, I think the warm-ups these days are probably about half an hour. And it's entertainment in itself. But yeah. you yeah. didn't have any of that in them days. You had, 
you had two hours of preparing the stadium for an atmosphere, for tribal warfare, whatever you wanted to call it. And then the players would walk out at five to three, kick a couple of balls about, the game would kick off and that was it. Game over. Yeah. Well, not, not game over, game on. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. But that's, um, that's what I grew up with. And then, obviously, you played at school. I played for a non-league team. I played for a Sunday league team. And I was spotted playing for a Sunday league team called the Red Duster, who was one of the better ones. Um, uh, by a, 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 He wasn't a chief scout. He was a director of Hartlepool United. He was okay. probably, probably walking his dog. Simple as that. Uh, and he was standing on the touchline and going, hello. And he looked at me and he looked at me. And, and he, after the game, he just said, would you like to come and uh, train with the reserves at Hartlepool on a Thursday night? So I How old was you then, then, Phil? I was uh, 19. 19. Oh, wow. Um, so you quite... Obviously, I slipped through the net big time. I mean, uh, you know, the modern day era, as you well know, Scott, you know, you can't yeah. get anybody... You can't get anybody, yeah. you know, you're dealing with eight-year-olds, eight seven-year-olds. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Big teams, you know, scouting scouting parents, you know, mm. what what bone size, you know, what's the kid going to look like at birth and all that kind of stuff. And I was that was way ahead of the game at the time. I mean, you're talking about 1979, 78, yeah. 79. And I was playing non-league football, basically, and I was 18, 19-year-old, apprentice electrician. Mm. So fulfilled my father's ambition my dad's ambition it was for to get a get a trade my mother's ambition was for one day for me to be a footballer right oh, wow. so aye absolutely it's not the way around isn't it um, it's uh, yeah. crazy but my mother was really into a football really into a sport my dad uh, not so heavily you know not not so much you know he, he wanted to put food on the table for for his family that was his provider that was his dri driving force provider and um so when I got offered a, a non-pro contract, it was. Um, I could still carry on with my apprenticeship, so I could still finish my apprenticeship. It was a four-year deal, the apprentices then. You know, it, it changed from seven years to five and then five to four. So at 20-year-old, I got me in uh, indenture forms as an, a qualified electrician, and I signed for Hartlepool United as a pro. Um, so I managed to do both of my parents' you know, ambitions for me which was a, a fantastic achievement for me. But it was all to do with one Sunday director from Hartlepool United walking his dog. It's as simple as that. Brilliant. Mad. That's mad, isn't it? The thing is, for, how, how did you adapt to that? Because we ask this question quite often. So you've gone from to like Sunday League or county football to being a, a pro semi-pro football. Yeah, it's... I, I like to say, I mean, obviously I can go and bounce on my career. I went from obviously a young lad to a Premier League footballer and then from Premier League footballer straight to non-league. Yeah. I found that so hard to adapt because obviously all of a sudden from Premier League you had a little bit of time to play and all of a sudden you're in non-league and people are tackling and it's flying. Yeah. So was it quite a tough like, experience like you say going from working to the full-time I suppose I, everyday training? I'm listening to what you said there Scott and, and you would have a massive target on your back. Period. Yeah. You would have a target on your back. This kid's played Premier League football. I'm going to show this kid I'm better than him. Yeah. And, you know. Yeah. So yeah. That, that's a big ask for you. I was a non-league footballer coming into a professional environment and having to prove myself every day. Yeah. So uh, yeah. I'm, having to, I'm having to say to these people who I'm trying to gain their trust, gain their mm. belief in me. I always remember the first day I, I went in the first team 
Um, I had to take time off work on the Friday. So I went training with the reserves at Hartlepool United on a Thursday night. The manager was there, Billy Horner at the time. And he came and uh, he said, uh, what are you doing tomorrow, son? And I went to start work at half seven. And he went, um, be at the training ground at 10 o'clock. <laughs> so I went, how do I do this? I mean, I'm supposed to be at work. So I went yeah. to work and I said to me, me foreman at the time, I've been offered a chance of training with the first team at Hartlepool. I had no idea I was playing at the weekend. They've already mm. made the decision, but I had no idea. Yeah. So the boss said to me, jump in a car. Have you got a car? Yeah, yeah, I've got my dad's car. Jump in a car, get yourself to Hartlepool and make sure you're on time and blah, blah, blah. So half seven, I'm clocking in. 25 to eight, I'm, you know, I'm clocking out and I'm away to yeah. Hartlepool. Mm. And that, that basically was the start of my career. But then I had to go into a training session on a Friday. And I'm playing alongside Billy Ayers. Remember the legend Billy Ayers? Yeah, he was a yeah, yeah. Hard, hardest man in the northeast of England. He was brilliant. Yeah. He was great as a, as an example of how the game was played in the lower leagues. It was blood and thunder. It was, you know, muck and nettles, as we, you know, all the terminology. Yeah. But um, yeah. Billy had a, a partnership going with a centre-half. And I can't, I can't for the life of me think of his name. But Billy Horner was breaking that partnership up and shoving me alongside Billy Ayers. So Ayers, he straight away on the first, the first day of training, I, I really had to make sure I was on the money for to convince him I was good enough to play alongside him. Yeah. And, uh, and he's he trust. Like, Aye. And he was like, I remember Billy saying it, ah, it's not good enough, he's not good enough. He's not. And I'm hearing him saying this, I'm thinking, I'll prove to you I'm good enough. Um, yeah. And I gained his trust so and eventually... That's the classic there, though, isn't it, where you either back the fuck up or you get the fuck in, isn't it? That's basically that. Sink or swim. Sink or swim. Well, yeah. It was 100%. strange enough. Sorry to I, cut you off there, Phil. But no, that, no, that, no. Don't that. Um, I, I looked at, the probably in hindsight this now, I looked at the fact that Billy Horner had given me the opportunity. He was going to play me. It didn't matter what yeah. Billy Ayers said, he was going to play me. But I'm playing alongside somebody now who I've got to... I've got to make sure that I, he trusts me and I trust him. Well, I trusted him with my life. Is. He was just phenomenal. Yeah. What a great guy to play alongside in your debut, by the way. Yeah. And it was 216 games before I came out with the team. 216 really? games. Aye. Oh, wow. Um, so that that was like the first five years in, in, in my career at Hartlepool. Probably the first three or four years alongside Aisy and and that was a proper apprenticeship. And then... I moved to Halifax and Billy Ayers was the assistant manager. So again, that, that shows you yeah. the kind of job that you've done mm. probably uh, during that time without even knowing it. Without yeah. even knowing it, you know. Just getting so, on with so, obviously, so obviously you've clocked in and clocked out on that Friday. Obviously the gap in you, what the, the situation was. When did he actually tell you that you were going to be starting on that Saturday? After training on the, uh, oh, really? on the Friday. After training on the Friday. So I jumped in my car and went straight back to work. And, uh, oh, really? and I told, wow. I told them, I, I told me foreman there, and then I said, "Listen, I was, I loved, uh, I loved the graft. You know, there was yeah. always a half. Uh, you could have got half shift on a Saturday, half shift on a Sunday, no problem. You know, so five days, and then half shift Saturday, half shift Sunday. And I used to do the half shift on a Saturday, go and play football. I used to do that's the half brilliant. shift on a Sunday, go play football, and that's brilliant. that used to bolster your wages. Obviously, you yeah. double your money, yeah. you know." Uh, but at the time, I went back and I just said, "Listen, I'll not, be, I'll not be at work tomorrow." Um, so he was like, he was, he was talking about organising a bus for to get the lads to come and watch me play. You <laughs> know? quality. Right. So Phil, so so obviously you're at work. You've obviously, you know, you're playing. 
you know, what's just tell? I mean, obviously, I've I've been there. Feel it. Just tell the people what's it like. You know what I mean? Who was it against? What was the average attendance? Yeah. Was the first team taking you straight away? Was you the new kid on the block? You know what I mean? How was it? Because I, for me, I never got nervous in football. Never, never, never. I didn't. I can't. I can't remember the nerves, Scott. I, I really can't remember. I can remember the excitement. If that's the same thing. Yeah, uh, yeah, I really look forward to it. I think nerves are, are ones where you don't look forward to it, but it's just, it's the same excitement, you know. Yeah, yeah. And I, I had I had a, a I had an unbelievable coping system in me in my body. I, I was lucky. I think that's down to the parents, myself. Um, yeah, my mother and father, you know, doing things for without us even knowing it, you know. And then the next thing you know, you're, you're put under immense pressure. Everybody thinks you're under immense pressure. You're playing yeah. the game that you love. What? Where's the pressure? <laughs> exactly. Where's There's no the pressure. pressure? No so um, I uh, we played Peterborough United on the Saturday. I mean, I've got a I've got a picture of me on my debut uh, in the local program about five or six games later, uh, and it was in the paper on the Saturday night, the Hartlepool Mail, I think it was called. Where I'm I'm going up for a corner. I'm just rising. There's about five or six bodies going up. I'm just rising to go and head the ball, attack the ball, and uh, I didn't I didn't score anything like that. But I just went up to rise to head the ball, and the picture snapshot. Had me man down, had me man oh, down no the terraces. Had me oh, man down perfect. the terraces in the background, and I've brilliant. still got that photograph. It's you unbelievable. Can't you can't write that. Right. But no, uh, that two, two one, we'll be Peterborough two one. So uh, yeah, I can remember it. Was you involved for the goal? No, no. <laughs> <laughs> I never, I never remember being involved for anything. Never, never, <laughs> never forget them bad moments, mate. Never, never, never. So Phil, but, you know, obviously people start um, their pathway to the to their career in a total different position where they are in the professional league. Was that the same with you? Position as in on the field of play? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I, uh, again, it's a good question. I just had this, um, I don't know whether it was down to the fact that I had a good coach at, um, at Hartlepool United and George Smith. I don't know if you remember George. George was a combative midfield player. He used to play for Birmingham, teams like that. Yeah. And he's not a well-remembered person in terms of um, being a great coach or anything like that, but he, he had a, a discipline about him that used to get you back, if you were learning a trade, get you back every Tuesday, Thursday, afternoons. And there was five or six of us always together. Me, Roy Hogan, uh, Mickey Fagan, Stevie Vass, uh, Kevin Johnson. We were always the same five or six players together, all in different yeah. positions and all different uh, varying stages of our careers. But I learned how to play the right back role from them days, and it stuck right. with me right the way through my career. But also, when you're teaching or, or when you're part of the session with Mickey Fagan, who was a centre back, yeah. you would learn his trade as well to a certain extent. Yeah. Then you had Roy yeah. Hogan centre midfield; you would learn his trade to a certain extent. Yeah. You know, as you're rolling him a ball, what passes has he got? You know, so yeah. you go through all yeah. of that process, and yeah. consequently, because of that, um, I probably played. In most positions on the field of players, Scott, um, right. you know, in the early days at Hartlepool, um, I remember playing up front with Bob Newton and Keith Houchin. Um, I remember Houchin. playing. Wow. Uh, yeah, I remember playing centre back with Billy Ayers to start off. Then I made a, a sort of career path was towards a right back role. Um, I played ahead of a right back in a in a winger's position. Never for me. I never. I was never quick enough. You know. Um, yeah. And, and a tendency maybe not to play so much on the left-hand side because I, I couldn't trap a sandbag with me uh, with me left foot. But you, you do learn that. You do. Yeah. You, yeah, you, yeah. Can't, you can learn to play with your left foot. And um, mm. 
And the two coaches, George Smith and um, Willie Madron, were the two coaches that took me through at Hartlepool. Willie Madron said, left-hand side, centre-back. If you're going to play centre-back, play left-hand side. And he taught me how to play the ball with the left foot. So, yeah, good yeah. upbringing. Never forget them. No, that's good. Good, good yeah. upbringing. So obviously, you was Nantes. Was it Nantes when you went into Hartlepool? Yeah. So, you, you, you seemed you was a man. Did you go into that dressing room thinking, i tell you what, I'm a man. I've got no nerves. Or was you a cocky person with, with you, you back <laughs> your own ability? Because a lot of people back their own ability. Or was you, you back your own ability in your head? Or was you a little bit shy going into that first team dressing room? No, I was, I was, um, I was cocky. Um, I've got to say it, I was, I was cocky. I backed my own ability. And uh, I went into a changing room that had some characters in it. You know, I've mentioned Bob Newton uh, yeah. and Keith Oucher, and they were the front two. Uh, yeah, yeah. Billy Ayers alongside me he was a frightening character, you know. He had, um, you know, some, uh, we had two centre-halves, Andy Linnigan, Davy Linnigan, both came through the ranks at Hartlepool. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Both yeah. went on to good careers, one at Arsenal, one at uh, Ipswich. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, could, tell you a, could tell you a great story with them two uh, when, in the five years that we had together at Hartlepool, at, you know, I'm going through the, the sort of 1979 and 1984, yeah. um, Billy Horner was probably manager of, of the team on three occasions when I first started. And then he got the yeah. sack and somebody else came in. And then he came back as a caretaker manager. And then he got the sack. And, you know, on three occasions, I had Billy Horner. But I had uh, a lad called Mick Doherty. You know, Tommy Doherty's son. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and Mick, Mick Doherty was fighting for his life. Um, and I'm talking about for his managerial life. You know, he was a very, very good coach. But yeah. Mick was uh, was struggling on the man management side of things in terms of being the, being the main man. And... Uh, there's one game we were playing, I'll never forget it. Uh, I was captain in the club at the time and uh, he never worked at it. That, that was the one thing that let him down. He never worked at it uh, on a Friday uh, where, where there was a change of system. Right. He grabbed the hole. He ha- we got the coach down to Swindon. We're playing Swindon away. He got the coach down and he said, Brownie, come, come up to the front. I want to have a chat with you. He said, I know I haven't worked on it. I said, but I'm going to change the system tomorrow um, and I'm going to play you uh, in the middle of the two centre-backs. I had Davy Linnigan one side and I had Andy Linnigan the other side. And I, I tell you, Giants, the Giants of, uh, of the game in terms of stature and everything. And we're yeah. playing, I'm playing in the middle of them, sort of trying to read the game and they were doing all the heading and attacking the ball and this and the other. I just swept up behind them. And we're 2-0 up with about 20 minutes to go. And we got beat 3-2. And Mick lost his job. And I'll, I'll always hold myself responsible for that. So you're 2-0 up. He's hanging on for this, you know, by the skin of his teeth. Yeah. And that was probably my first lesson in management. How right. important, how important your commitment as an individual, every individual mm. that crosses that white line has to yeah. be for the club, has to be for themselves, but ultimately for the manager, if you're going to keep this guy in work. And, and yeah. that was the first lesson I learned, how important it was to give it everything, every game. Yeah, massively. Yeah, just- just to touch on something you asked earlier, Scott, in terms of walking into the changing rooms um, at 19 years old, do you think you benefited from not being in the youth setup and going through the reserves and stuff like that? Do you think you benefited more from that? Maybe. Yes, maybe. Mm. Um, I think, uh, again, it's a, it's, a, it's a clever question in a certain way. Where, you're more or less saying, where do I stand on academies these days? You know, And, and I think mm. academies have been... They've been a... You know, they've been a successful time for a lot of clubs. Uh, but if they're not, not run properly, 
right the way through from the manager all the way down to whoever whoever mm. takes the kids, you know. If they're not run properly, it can be a nightmare for, for young lads. And I was having this conversation today, actually, on the golf course with a, a guy in, who's, who's from a rugby background. And he was saying, what percentage of success do you get in academies these days? And I said, 2%. So wow. 2% success. That's not a success rate. That's a failure rate, no. in my opinion. Yeah, yeah. It's an so, failure. So with that in mind, having a career behind me, i.e. Uh, an electrician, I was a qualified electrical engineer who could actually... Um, start my own business anytime I wanted to, which I did do when I was 22, 23 year old. I started my own business. I was doing rewires of houses whilst I was a pro footballer at the same time. Um, because there was so much time, you had so much time on your hands. Yeah. You know, you'd work yeah. a couple hours a day. If they don't get you back in the afternoon, I had a, I had a half a day to finish a rewire off, which I'd started at that weekend, you know. That's brilliant. Um, That's cool. So, so what, what I would say was get an apprenticeship in life first before you actually take on football because if you don't understand the change room if you don't understand what a man is standing up and saying to you uh, as the manager if you don't realize how important it is forget about it you're not you're not prepared yeah. you're not ready for it well you're expected to use I'm, I'm assuming so as a player you're expected to use some high levels of interpersonal skills which you're not just given as a person you know these no. come over time you learn them over over the space of a lifetime so to be able to handle all the pressures that come with football and then being able to take on board what someone says without being offended by it, you know, I'm guessing mm. it isn't that easy for somebody young. Does that stuff get taught in the academies or? I don't think it does, not from a, a personable skill. Um, I think um, being in at the deep end, being exposed to the rigours of, of life, if you like, uh, having a hard time is not the end of the world. Having a hard yeah. time and coming through it could be the making of anybody. Um, yeah. So the footballing skills, I was very fortunate that all managers seemed to see a captain in me for some reason. I didn't, I didn't see this in me. It was somebody seeing it yeah. in me. And from sort of 22, 23-year-old, I was handed the captain's role. And I'm so saying That's interesting, Phil. Phil, that's interesting, you see. Because I, I'm a big fan of, I'd say a large percentage of footballers would see a leadership in, in themselves. So that's really good that you've said. You didn't really see it yourself. Other people yeah. amongst the game with massive experience have seen it in you. That's Scott, a really the, good... The, um, I'm talking about changing change rooms that had John Bird, yeah. Ray Kennedy, yeah. Yeah. Bobby Kerr. You know, coming to the end of that career is okay, all well yeah. and good, but you've got John Bird, Newcastle United, Doncaster Rovers, you know, played a million yeah. games at a yeah, higher yeah. level. Coming into your change room, I'm like that. Oh, here we go. Yeah. You know, mm. stature. You've got stature. And I'm getting the captain's yeah. job ahead of him. I'm thinking, wow, this That's is... Brilliant. him. And yeah. Bobby Kerr, having lifted the FA Cup, again, brilliant. captain yeah, Sutton, yeah. Yeah. Ray mm. Kennedy, the highest level. You can't, you can't imagine. Liverpool, mm. Arsenal, coming yeah, into the yeah. change room. Yeah. And I'm captain. It's like, whoa, this is Even unbelievable. Madden. Do you reckon it might have come from a sense of... I'm, I'm assuming you was humble. Um, you was happy to be in the position you was in. Like, you never really thought you was going to go there. It wasn't really a as you mentioned, like a dream, you didn't grow up wanting to do that. You're there. So all this euphoria of growing up and wanting to be there and finally being there, that's not there. You've got this, I'm just enjoying playing football. Was, does that play a big part, do you reckon, towards captains? The humble side of it, the humility side of it is very important in every walk of life for me. You've got to understand that what humility is, uh, where it comes from. That, that definitely, without a shadow, that comes from your parents and your upbringing. Uh, respecting people, respecting hierarchy, respecting managers for the positions, 
respecting mm. the players around you. Even if you think you're better than them, you can't be yeah. saying it. You can't be. You've got to show it on a daily basis. And yeah. we used to have, we used to have some battles, and I mean battles on in the, on the training ground where the manager had no control over it because we were going at it hammering tongs because if we did it on a Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, it was going to happen on a Saturday. End yeah, of story. Yeah. So, so we sort of t- we took control of the change room if the manager wasn't strong enough. That's brilliant. Phil, the biggest thing for me, obviously you're 19, you, you obviously you played 200 odd games. The biggest, and this is probably a silly question for a lot of people, but when was that first night out with the first team? Because it's always an acceptance, isn't it? Once you get that invitation, you kind of go, I think I've made it here. <laughs> and it's, it, it's true, isn't it, Phil? Please back me on this one because look, as soon as you get that, you're coming with me, son, and I'm getting you absolutely levered. You actually go home and go, I think I've been accepted. Aye, aye. It, it's true, though, isn't it, Phil? That is that is such a. It was it was the way we were in them days. You know, it was an absolute no-brainer that the Tuesday club. Um, there you go, Matt. Tuesday club. <laughs> Tuesday club. Always. Wednesday the off, tu- wasn't it, Phil? Wednesday off. Um, yeah. It got to that stage where you needed it. You needed it because yeah. the Tuesday club was brutal, you know. Um, yeah. <laughs> and you would, you would, uh, you would be battered on the Tuesday. You would be absolutely okay. They call them Terra Tuesdays. Now, we had seen yeah. Carew. We were running around hills. You, you name it. There was, there was all sorts of. Not, I wouldn't have called it punishment. I, again, I was talking today about about this. You know about how the modern day player is a lot. Um, I wouldn't have said softer. I just said he's better prepared from a technical point of view. Yeah. Um, and therefore, the, the rigours of the modern-day game. Uh, and yes, we've got all these dementia problems. We've got heading the ball being an issue in the game. It's, the game's yeah. changed unrecognisably, yeah. Scott, um, yeah, yeah. to the extent where you can't have the same argument. And I, I'm not prepared to want to have that same argument. I'm just saying, back in them days, if somebody yeah. had said to you, had it said to me at 19, 20, 21, don't touch a drop of alcohol and see where it takes you. I don't know where that took me because I think no. the character of me stayed in yeah. the game because of the other side of it, which is crazy. Yeah. Life that was the culture. The party. Yeah. Culture, wasn't it? The big yeah. culture in football that was back in the day. 100%. And come a, a, come a Tuesday where you've, you've absolutely, you know, you've seen grown men crying because of the amount of pressure you, you put under put your body under and then it was yeah. just race, race back jump in a, a communal bath and go and have a few beers together and it yeah. was a tremendous camaraderie it was a yeah. pulling together of, of, of I think it's if you want to equate it to football it's, it's remember, remembering the moments where you actually won a game of football by real grit and determination and how often you did that and therefore yeah. that team spirit was priceless I always said this, Phil, obviously I'm not being disrespectful to Matt or Charlie, whoever you listen. I honestly think you get a minimum 15 points just because of that team, um, you know, bond. You know what yeah. I mean? That, that, it, it, for me, if you've got that little bit about you in that dressing room, that does get you, you know, you could have the worst 90 minutes of your life, but that togetherness gets you through that 90 minutes and gets you that three points. And that's, you know, that's... That's the way we were. We understand that. You know, that's the nature of the game at the time. Now, yeah. I'm going to say to you guys now, who took the game to the next level? And I've got to say it, I was very privileged to be um, in the same company as Arsene Wenger when he first arrived in England. Um, that, yeah. True yeah. true story. Um, I'd replaced uh, Bruce Rioch 
at Bolton Wonders when Bruce went to Arsenal. I'd replaced, sorry, I'd replaced, I, I, Colin Todd replaced Bruce Rioch, but Colin Todd then brought me um, to the football club from Blackpool as I'm finishing my career as a player. He brought me to the football club as assistant manager. And one of, we smashed the championship out of sight with 99 points or whatever it was. And we played some lovely football, but it was all down to Toddy and his philosophy about play, 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 all the way through. But then we had this chance meeting in uh, Sopwell House. We had a game in London. He had just got the job. Bruce had just got the sack, uh, having just signed Dennis Burkamp, and we all know that story. And Wenger had got the job, and he walks into the breakfast room, and I'm sitting there with Toddy, and he sat down beside us. Wow, this is like two and a half, three hours later. I'm still listening to this guy, and the ideas he's got about how he's going to change the face of Arsenal Football Club, how he's going to change the way the, the way English football is. And mm. all of these things were just spilling out his mouth. And I'm, oh, I'd like to see this evolve, <laughs> evolve. Yeah, yeah. Wow, yeah, yeah. did it evolve? Did that evolve? I mean, so he took football, you know, from the days of going out and doing a Terror Tuesday and then going on the lash, uh, having the Wednesday off and the drinking culture, that was at Arsenal. It really yeah. was heavily, yeah, heavily big, big, involved in it? Arsenal. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. then um, and being accepted in the game and being accepted in our world, Scott. And all of a yep. sudden, Arsene Wenger comes along, he's changed the face. And everybody had yep. to follow on because they had yep. the fittest team in the country and the better yep. technical team in the country. They're gonna, they were going to win things because of it. And there's us yep. still having a beer. You, you had to change. You had to change. Yeah, that's true. No, I totally get that. Totally, totally get that. No, I get that massively. So um, we, we've covered across a lot of areas uh, <laughs> after... I think it was just one initial question asking if you wanted to be a footballer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but Matt, listen, I've got to ask that now, though. So, from Hartlepool to Halifax, then, Phil, how big of a change was that? Because obviously, 200, what was it, 200 and some games. Yeah. Now, you you know, you've got a different culture, you've got yeah. different players, different personalities. How much of a difference was that? Or did you straight away, again, cocky 19, well, obviously, you're a bit older now, but you still had that cockiness about you. Did you just bounce straight into that dressing room? I say, listen, lad, this is what I'm about. Uh, pretty much so. Um, yeah. I, I saw it as um, a move geographically for me. I thought the northeast was out on a limb. Mm. I thought we had um, Newcastle, Sunderland, uh, Hartlepool, Darlington, Middlesbrough, and and nothing else for another hundred miles. You know, that's the way I was yeah. seeing it. You had Carlisle straight across the way, but again, sort of out on a limb. And it, albeit a hotbed of football. Yeah, if you take Alan Shearer's career, Alan Shearer had to go elsewhere. Mm. It wasn't so much the hotbed of football, you know. So yeah, anyway, yeah. cut long story short, I moved further south into a, I would have said, a block of teams where, you know, people are going to be watching you, and and you know, your, your career could spiral up over. It could go the other way as well. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. So I moved for that, that purpose, that sole purpose of geographically get closer to everybody else, as it were. And yeah. um, and I walked into a, again a changing room full of character, but it was AZ assistant manager Mick Jones was the was the manager at the time, uh, not the Leeds United Mick Jones, the, the Derby County Mick Jones. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. Uh, and Cluffy had got him the job, and that was another lesson I learned. You know, if you're going to start in management, get somebody, you know, of the stature of Brian Clough to put your name in, of the stature of Alex Ferguson who did that eventually to put your name in. It gets your jobs um, in the world of football, but. Um, I learned a lot from them too as a management team. I thought they were brilliant for me. Um, mm. You know, Mick Jones was a real psychologist, tough, tough guy. 
yes. but they were good. They were good cop, bad cop. They were brilliant at it, and uh, yeah. uh, taught me a lot about the art of management. So, what what point did you think as a footballer? I'm accepted now. I've made it. I'm accepted. Was it your I don't know two hundredth or hundredth game for Hartlepool, or did it take you a long time to think at Halifax? Actually, people know I am now. I uh, I thought it was the moment I got um, voted on the PFA. You know, they, t- they used to have a PFA team at the end of the season yeah. Yeah, for yeah. all four divisions. You know, obviously you had your yeah, individual winners. And uh, I think the first time I went to the PFA Awards was when I was 27. And oh. I, was, uh, I was in my second year at uh, Halifax and I got voted in by my fellow players, which I, Brilliant. I yeah, to this yeah. day, uh, hold as one of, the, one of the proudest things that I've, I've ever achieved. You can win trophies and get promoted and this, that, the other. Mm. But from an individual perspective, to the extent where I, I made sure that we had a table, we had a table, and the next thing you know, we've got two tables because the directors want to come down, the chairman wants to come down, everybody mm. wanted to join in, and we've got a Halifax town, we've got a player voted into. It was brilliant. It was a great, great yeah. moment for me to get brilliant. up on that stage and you're recognised mm. as, as yeah. the best right back in that division that year. Yeah, yeah, brilliant. So that, that actually, was probably the moment, Scott. You know. Yeah. Did you? Did you? Did Hartley, Did Halifax buy you from Hartlepool, or did you go on a free transfer? Um, they bought. Um, I think they paid, if truth be known, I think they paid 17,500 quid. That's, that's not bad, is it? Back then, to be fair. <laughs> but it's not bad, though, was it? You know what I mean? It Back then, have, you know what I mean? It may have been a free transfer. I may have got that wrong. <laughs> oh, right, yeah. Well, say, to be fair. No, the signing on bonus, is it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you know what I mean? No, I came to the end of my five-year deal at, at Hartlepool, and I'm going back. Uh, it's a good story. This uh, I know we've got time for to speak about it. Um, I was because I was a, the the uh, captain at Hartlepool United. You mm. then get the shop stewards role, which is automatically given to you because nobody else wants it, you know. So you're part yeah. of the PFA and you have to do the voting system and this, that, and the other. But we actually had a, a real problem at Hartlepool. We went something like um, five weeks without bonus, three weeks without wages, and the PFA were telling me. You can you can strike if you want to strike you can strike and I'm getting that information from Gordon Taylor and I'm a 24 year old 25 year old kid like and I'm thinking but not kid you know you, yeah, you're yeah, not yeah. quite the man you know but yeah I'm, yeah, yeah I'm having to make a decision so I'm having to phone all the players up and saying listen we're we're, we're well within our rights to to uh, to strike and we did uh, and within a day within 24 hours we got every penny paid. So my my stature in the change room went there. My stature yeah, in the yeah. boardroom in the boardroom yeah. went there. Yeah. So then, so the next opportunity you got to sell me, out I went, and right. uh, I came to the end of me. I came to the end of my contract at the end of that season. I got released on a free uh, to to Halifax. So the man talking about wages. How much was you on at Pool compared to what Halifax was going to offer you, or was that 80, not a problem? Eighty quid a week. At, uh, for the first four years and then I went up to 125 um, on the last year and then I went to I think it was about 200 and, it was 240 quid at Hartlepool big leap, big leap. Uh, it, it was a decent because of the free I think more than anything else yeah. and I think I'd worked with AZ and AZ was a big push yeah. for me yeah. where that was concerned uh, he was saying he'll, he'll, he'll take the change room take control of it and this that and the other uh, and I, I, I really enjoyed my time at, at Halifax but 
we had a cup run and, and this is how you'll know what I'm talking about. This is how easy and how difficult it can be to get a move. Yeah. We had a cup run against Bolton Wanderers and uh, we drew at their place. We brought them back to the year. Uh, we drew again and went back to their place uh, and we got beat over three games. It was always replays, replays, replays. Yeah, yeah, Phil, yeah. Ne- Phil Neal was playing left back at that time. I know he was England's right back, but he was playing left back because he was bringing a kid through uh, in his position and he wanted to see him blossom. So he was teaching him to play right back. So consequently, when he was in the team, he was just finishing his career. He was playing yeah. left back. And I'm right back for the opposition. And all he can remember in three games was me bombing past him, going past him, going past him, going past him, getting crosses in. So he said he was he was the one who signed me for seventeen thousand five hundred at the end of that career, at the end of that season, right. uh, to Bolton Wanderers. So um, that's how strange the game is, isn't it? Oh, God, so a guy, a guy, a guy walking his dog in a park, <laughs> and me playing against Phil Neal, and he was playing out of position, and I'm bombing past him. Got me two moves. At Coventry, he signed me in '95. Ah, oh, right. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Interesting so, uh, to get your views on him. What do you, what do you, what did you think? To be honest with you, he was really good with me because obviously he gave me the five-year contract. But I think I can remember uh, Cookie, Paul Cook, and Roy Wegley and Sean Flynn took me out, and I got I, I had three cocktails filled. TGR Fridays, absolutely steaming. Do you know what I mean? I was fifteen, nearly sixteen. I was like Scotty, come out with me. We'll get you absolutely twisted, mate. I was I was hammered. And I got, before before I can remember obviously getting steaming. I can remember him saying he's too soft, he's too soft. I think they got beat by, I think it was Wimbledon 5-1 and he gave them three days off. So it was kind of like, I was just turning 16 and I was thinking, what do you mean he's too soft? But for me, he started my career off. So yeah. I, can't, I can never say anything. I, I mean, he was an unbelievable player. But I, uh, I always thought that that was the, uh, I was going to say the wrongdoing of how can it be? He had a fabulous mm. career, 51 times yeah. for England, etc., etc. Yeah. The reason why I signed for Bolton yeah. was because Phil Neal was the manager. And my yeah. mother said to me there and then, she said, you've got three or four clubs. I had three decent seasons at uh, Halifax. He said, you've got yeah. three or four clubs chasing you. I had Burnley, I had Peterborough. I think I had Coventry as well uh, at the yeah. time. But um, I had Bolton Wanderers and she, she said, best right back in the country. Who else could you say for? He's going to teach you how to play your position. You've been, you've yeah. been playing with it for six, seven years. He's going to teach mm. you how to play. And I didn't think he was a coach. I thought he was a great figurehead. Yeah. Because he had the stature. He had the, That's it. the, the yeah. he had the career. But he, yeah. he couldn't, he wasn't really a top coach. He was, not for me. He had Mick Brown alongside him at Bolton. And Mick Brown used yeah. to do a lot of the coaching, you know. Yeah, like you say, his, his experience. It. Yeah, his experience was a bigger stature than his actual coaching ability, wasn't it? That's right. That's right. Yeah. yeah. I think you see a lot oh, of yeah. those, those that can do can't always teach. And yeah. That's the case sometimes, isn't it? So true. So we, we, we spoke a lot there about um, different sides of how you got to where you got to um, just in the early starts of your, your playing career. If we was to move into like a different side of it in terms of football at the moment or when you, when you first started out, what would you say has been the, the good thing about football for you? Is it the memories it's given you or? Uh, the life it's given you from there, you know, what, what's the, what's the good side to football? It's 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 both of them, without a shadow of a doubt. But it's also the good people that you meet, um, mm. and the good characters that you meet, and uh, 
and you, you come back, you sort of sit back after your career and you go, I wonder why I sort of migrated towards him. I wonder why I went towards him. I wonder why, you know, that, that type of uh, reflection, uh, you probably find out a little bit more about your character. Um, yeah. And, um, you know, I mentioned Bruce Rioch before, having bumped into Bruce Rioch at 32 year old uh, at Bolton Wanderers, he replaced Phil Neal. And uh, I thought, to, in terms of stature of management, he his man management skills were second to none. He uh, he could put the fear of God into you, um, but he could also give you the right advice. And he did both of that to me. He I had massive respect for Bruce, and he said, "What you? Uh, I've heard you've got a you've got a pub and you've got a restaurant." I said, "Yeah." He said, "You're a qualified electrician, yeah." So are you thinking about leaving the game at the end of it, at the end of your career, playing wise? And I went, yeah, at the moment, I, I can't see any reason why yeah. I should be staying in the game of football. And he went, don't be so stupid. He said, you've been a captain since you're 22, 23-year-old. You've led changing rooms, you've led teams, you're doing that at the moment. You've still got three, four, five years of, the, of your game left. Start doing your badges. Start doing your... I actually started with a certificate of applied management. So I went into the management side first before I went into the coaching side. And by the time I was 37, 38, I bumped into Sam Allardyce at the right time. And he gave me an opportunity to start coaching. So it fell in nicely. But that advice from Bruce Rico at 32 was, was priceless. And what's your thoughts on Sam? Um, as an outside looking in, you'll get generally different sides of the coin. Which I've side got of the coin a question. Phil, I don't like him. Uh, um, a lot of people don't. Uh, he's, a, he's a marmite guy, you know. Um, I got um, very fortunate at the time when I finished my career or when I was coming to the end of my playing career. Um, Bobby Saxton was his assistant at Blackpool. And Sacco was a, a man of uh, management stature himself, you know, Portsmouth. Eh, sorry, Plymouth was a big club for him, Blackburn Rovers. Uh, mm. He'd done a lot of you know, management himself. And Sam took him on board as an assistant manager and uh, Owen Oyston was not too sure about it. You know, he had Billy Bingham on the um, board of directors at Blackpool and saying to Billy, we're not, not too sure about this guy. He said, well, Sam's got a brilliant road from his assistant manager and his chief scout. So he'll go to games, he'll do this, that and the other. Yeah. So he sold it as a two-man two -man job in one and he got yeah. the job because of it. But Bobby didn't, he loved just being on the training ground. That was Bobby's forte and that was his strength, being on the training ground every day. He didn't want to go to games and this, yeah, that, yeah. and then eventually Billy Bingham got got to the bottom of him and got rid of him. Uh, and then I got the call from Sam saying, come and be my assistant manager. And sort of from that moment, um, we had a we had a, a good relationship in terms of management. You know, yeah. we had a good relationship in terms of friendship. Um, it hasn't always been that way. He's gone his way and um, I've gone my way. I always wanted to be a manager and, and consequently, you know, when things come to a head, you do go your separate ways, don't you? I've yeah. got my own life. He's got his own life. Yeah. And, uh, and good luck to him, you know. The thing is, Phil, when I got let go on a free transfer at Coventry, um, Strachan and himself had a little chat. And um, he said, Scotty, come, come down to Notch County, play two games. I think it was Everton at home. and No, sorry, it was Newcastle at home, Everton away. And uh, I, can, I can remember... I brung the ball down on my chest and played it to the left back. Obviously, obviously the first team gaffer, so he's obviously watching from a distance uh, from the stands. He's come hurtling down half time, 
absolutely destroyed me for just bringing the ball down on my chest. <laughs> and um, he's gone, who the fucking think you are? Fucking Premier League football, yeah? I'm looking at him thinking, Anyway, didn't think anything of it. I thought I'd done decent. Anyway, went to Everton away and they played that Lee MRI at the time. And there was a ball to put in the box. I'm left footed. So I thought, it's a bit of a different angle. So I just thought, I'll play it to Justin Jackson. He'll play it back. I've got a better angle. I whipped it in. Half time again. Just put the fucking ball in the box. You're not going to sign for me. I just thought, you can fuck right off. I'm not signing here. <laughs> and that was it. I've never liked him ever since. Was you the assistant at Bolton in two, about 2001? Uh, yes, I was, I. I don't like you now. So, <laughs> so Sam's rang my gaffer and said, listen, I want Scott on trial for two weeks. I didn't know nothing about this until, obviously, later on. And my gaffer at the time, John Baldwin, went, listen, if you want him, you'll have to buy him. And Sam was like, no, no, no. I just want to take him on trial for two weeks, see how it goes. Yeah. And then John Baldwin, my gaffer, just went, listen, deal's off then. Three months later, he went, Scott, I've got something to tell you. You've got, you know, you got an afternoon. I was like, yeah, yeah. He goes, we'll go for a beer, go for something to eat. I was thinking, here we go, new contract. He went, Sam Allardyce at uh, Bolton was interested in taking me on trial. He said, but no chance. We wanted 20 grand for you. So we've turned it down. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Uh, so now I, I do, just felt like... I do. Oh, These things so... happen, though. These things happen. It can change your life. Can change your life, is, this, is this what we spoke about the other day, Scott, in terms of the... Did you have an agent? No, I always did so, my own. Yeah. So if you didn't have an now, agent, nobody's telling you, like, oh, this guy's coming no. in. And, no. Right, okay, that's a big difference, isn't it? Yeah, it's a, I mean, looking back again, looking back now, hindsight says it would have been beneficial, but, you know, it is what it is. But, yeah, my, my, my perception of Sam was... He was just a very scary, big statue of a man. And he was. I mean, Phil, I'm obviously you as a citizen, so you might see a different aspect. But he just seemed to have that bit of aura about him where he was, a, he was quite a scary character, to be honest. It's funny, it's funny you're saying that, uh, because at the end, of, um, the end of it all, if you like, and you go back on your team, Sam's best thing that he ever said to me as an assistant manager was, you're not working for me, you're working with me. Yeah, and and he actually tripped me like that all the way through, until oh, the moment good. I decided until the moment I decided to become a manager myself, and yeah. then um, he was on he was on the team bus um, where Hull City were concerned. He was on the team bus leaving Wembley after we we'd got promoted to the Premier League. He was oh, on the team bus. He was on the team oh, bus. Really? Came back to the Grove. Um, oh, sat at, sat at the front with me. He was out of work at the time. Uh, he got brilliant. sacked by Newcastle and. Um, he just sat on a on a team bus and he went biggest smile on his face and he just went brownie, well done, brownie. You know, I, I can remember them days like as if they were yesterday. You know, I just said, yeah. come on, I've done this with you so many times off your back. You know, you've been successful and I'm assistant manager. Mm -hmm. Okay, you've got a part to play. You get all that part, but really, how much is on the manager? How much is on the assistant? How much is on the first team coach? It should yeah. be a shared experience, but. There's such an emphasis on the manager to win things. Yeah, yeah. There, there I was sitting on the coach, going back to the groves, grove, and I'm I've got Sam alongside me, who's taught Brilliant. me a lot of things in the game, and he's out of work, and I'm I've been promoted to the Premier League, you know. So That's while we're on this part here, this this promotion, the, going back to the groves, I want to know what happened that night. Uh, <laughs> There's got to be some stories. There's got to be some oh, stories. Great, there. great night, honestly, just a fantastic night. We had. Uh, 
Andy, I remember Andy Dawson and all his brothers were, came back with us. I had Sam there, uh, Dean Windus, just crazy, just drinking everybody <laughs> under the drinking everybody under the table, or at least trying to. Who was uh, first at Evan? Who was who was last up? Well, strangely enough, the first one up was Dean, and he was um, painting Guinness with his with his cornflakes, um, <laughs> and it was it was literally I could not sleep. I ki- I can't. Kid you not, I couldn't sleep. I walked into the Grove reception area probably at about 6 37 o'clock, floating in into this place. Beautiful <laughs> place, by the way. We had the garden, yeah, the walled yeah. garden. We cordoned off the walled garden area at the back and we just had a, the, the party of all parties. I had all my mates um, with me in the game, out the game. Mm. Um, Sam had gone. He had a driver taking him back home. And I walked into the the reception area and I just decided to walk straight into the breakfast area I didn't I didn't sleep that night at all um, and I didn't need it I just didn't need no. it I was just floating and it's Dean genuine, was the isn't first, it? Yeah, yeah yeah Dean was the first one down sat beside me just crying his eyes out kissing me and everything and he has a painting painting Guinness with his uh, with his um, with his cornflakes brilliant has he gone so, to bed or has he just carried on no he's no, definitely not gone to bed he's gone right through <laughs> he's definitely gone right through Dean is there Phil. a chance Phil, you know what? We, we spoke to Brian last, last week and, you know, when that week prior to the, obviously, the, 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 the uh, playoff final, I asked Brian, or we asked Brian, was the different in 10-point training sessions? He didn't seem to think there was. But as a manager, I believe that you might have seen something different there. Because, think, like you uh, say, you know, when you, you know when you go to a derby, you know, like, say, Hull Leeds, there's always that little bit of... I think nobody made him. Nobody might have missed out on this one. I, I don't mean missed out on it. Uh, maybe as a manager, you are a little bit, and he'll know what I'm talking about, over a thousand games yeah. as a manager. You yeah. get a little bit closer to the players, you get a little bit closer to the intensity. You do. Yeah. Um, you know, as an assistant manager, first team coach, you do the warm-ups, you do the intricate passing drills yeah. and this, that, and the other, and then sort of the, the technical, tactical side goes, to, goes across the manager. And if, if players are not sort of picking up on what you're saying... Mm. Or, or taking on board information. And I always remember this as a, the reason why I'm telling you, I always remember this as an assistant manager under Sam, when we were playing Preston, uh, no, sorry, Preston North End was in the final, I'm trying to think, we, we used Arsenal's training ground and we were at Wembley. And uh, the preparation for the, the game, it was the playoffs, yes, it was against Preston North End. Mm. Anyway, long story short, uh, I, I literally said to Sam, I'll just take the first 15, 20 minutes. I'm just doing a circle. And um, yeah. and, and literally had a circle with twos and threes in the middle and all sorts of stuff. And it was a lovely surface. Never forget it. It was the best uh, London colony. Wenger mm-hmm. had lent us it. No problem. Yeah. Get on with it. Um, and the next thing you know, Sam came across Brownie. I've seen enough. And I'm, I'm sort of look, looking over my shoulder. What do you mean you've seen enough? Look, they were tackling each other neck high. They were absolutely mm. on, at it. Now, I had named the team two days before because he wanted to get as much preparation in as he possibly could. So yeah. you've named the team the day before. You're now doing the day minus one, match day preparation to minus one. And something in this circle, they're going to smash each other at smithereens here if I don't stop yeah, it. Yeah. And yeah. That, was, that was my lesson as an assistant manager. So I thought then maybe one day I'll have to do that uh, and, and pull the plug on a, on a training session when somebody else has taken it. And, and lo and behold, it was, um, I think it was, um, leading up to the Watford game. 
You know, the Watford, the Watford game yeah. over two legs. Yeah. yeah, yeah. If I'm not mistaken, I think we lost Dean Marnie in between the two games. And that was down to a training ground incident, if you like. And not, not a nasty incident. I just mean, mean to say it was a bad tackle in training. And yeah. uh, we, we got back in the change room afterwards and went, could we have prevented that? Because yeah. you always, as a manager, you always hold yourself responsible for players' welfare, players, you know, how they mm. think and how, they, how they're playing, how they're reacting and this and the other. And I, I said, Nobby, Nobby's like, no, nah, don't be silly. It's impossible. It's, it could happen any time. And I think he yeah. was maybe dr- trying to justify himself or trying to justify Steve Parker or whatever. And he didn't have to do that. Never had to do that where I was concerned. I just thought, mm. could we have avoided that, lads? And, yeah. and, I, and I hold myself responsible, you know? Yeah. So, Phil, when did you name the team going up to that Bristol City game? Did you do the normal? <coughs> did you do the normal structure? Did yeah, you name the team that, Friday afternoon? Did you have the meeting, or did you do it totally different in preparation for this one? No, we uh, we tried to stick to as near as damn it to as a normal normal routine. The Watford game yeah. was obviously a two legged affair. And then yeah. leading up to the biggest game and the surrounding, the interest in that game was phenomenal. Mm. Just a massive buzz about the place. And we just tried to keep it as normal as we possibly could, apart from yeah. the fact that we went down to London a day, day earlier than what we normally would do, you know. You would address the group, I'm talking about outside, not in a classroom effect, you know. So, so you, were, yeah, yeah. you were like, you were still a football team, you know. You're still talking yeah. a group of players. And you were saying, this is the team. And I fully understand if, say, for instance, I'm playing against you, Scott, and I decided, yeah. right, Scott's in my position, I'm going to do him in training. Everybody can see that. Everybody can yeah, see yeah. that, you know. And, yeah. I, and I, I more or less said to the group that weren't playing, you know, so I've named the team, the group, that, the 11, 12 players that weren't playing. Mm. If you want his shirt, by all means, go and grab it. Go and sn- snap him into. How do you yeah. think you'll, you, how do you think you'll feel after mm. you've done that? Because I might still not pick you. If you yeah. do something like that. So let's respect the fact that I've yeah. named the team and let's get on with it. This has worked for us all year. We'll continue to try and, uh, and work for it for one more game. Yeah. So, you know, the people, that you, the people that you left out then, did you obviously individually, did you, again, did your style change or did you just do it as if you were playing another team, basically? Same. I stayed the same. Um, I didn't yeah. necessarily, unless I was dropping somebody. Uh, like a Nicky Barmby or something like that, yeah. you know, you, you, you're going to pull Nicky to one side because you've got massive yeah. respect for what he's done in the game. Um, and the one thing about Nicky Barmby, you would fully understand it, but he would ask you a very pertinent question, Nicky, that's for sure. Whereas yeah. where Dino was concerned, Dino was always like, I'm better than him, what are you picking him for? You know, it's as simple as that. <laughs> um, so, so there was ways and means of, of dealing with individuals, but at the same time, mm. if you remember rightly, um, I, I how many subs was it? Was it five subs or three subs? I, can't, five. I, I don't even. It's five, five subs. Five, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. But yeah. if you look at the two two guys that weren't even changed, but they were sitting in the in the dugout with us, JJ Kocha and Henrik Pedersen, um, mm. I brought them two for different reasons. I brought them one because of experience. the Premier Premier League experience for sure. Uh, yeah. Two, I had to do a sales pitch on Brian Horton and um, Steve Parkin on on JJ Kocha because they were they were both like, whoa, hold on a second, he's 35, 36 year old, he's you know, he's past his best and this, that and the other. My sales pitch was unreal. It was like, we finished training today, lads. Come to the KC Stadium with me now. And they're going, why? I said, you know, we've had the conversation about JJ Kutcher. Well, he's signing today. Just look at the exposure that he'll bring 
yeah. to the city of Hull individually yeah. on his own. And we walked into the press conference. There was about 40 camera crews in the press conference. It was world, he's a worldwide yeah. phenomenon. He was a, yeah, he was yeah. a class, a class act. And, yeah. you know, we, we played the game, Scott, in England. This guy was yeah. world exposure, you know, PSG, oh, God, for yeah. God's sake, you know. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. But he was a great guy as well. And I know yeah. Brian and I know Steve like the good people in football and JJ was one of them. Yeah, and I think if you speak to many Hull fans, they'll say to you, what was that moment when you was like, oh my God, we're actually getting big here. It's that moment when JJ Kocha signed. So like, yeah. how have we got JJ Kocha in a Hull City shirt? You know, and that, and that, was, that was a big moment. But you have just mentioned on Nick Barnby and one of the questions from one of my colleagues at work asked me was, um, Nick Barnby fell out with the Allens in 2012, obviously after your time. But did you see enough in Nick Barnby for him to become a success as a manager? Like from what you saw with him? Um, it's a good... A good question on Nicky. Um, I always thought he had um, great stature, potential in terms of the Phil Neal side of things, which we've yeah. talked about. In terms of the man management side of, uh, of the game, um, might have been a little bit difficult for him. Um, he was a very, very talented player, uh, very, very talented individual, had been blessed with amazing ability to see a game you know, like yeah. you see a game better than or different from anybody else. Um, but to be able to pass them on, pass that thing on, is the key to, I think, coaching. It's the key to education. It's the key to management long term. Yeah. Uh, and maybe, maybe that part of it wasn't for Nicky. I think Nicky, to a certain extent, got forced into it. Um, he seemed to be the right fit for the football club at the, at the yeah. time. You know, having having seen what the Alams were going into and what they were doing. Uh, maybe they needed somebody that was a, a, a cult figure in Hull City's history and certainly mm. a, a local boy. And he, he obviously fell into that category on both fronts. Yeah. Um, but when it come down to hard, hard-nosed decisions, which managers sometimes have to do and have to put themselves through. And by the way, they have to put the families through as well. Because it, take, it takes time making hard-nosed, hard-nosed decisions. Maybe that, was, that, that part wasn't for Nicky. Yeah. Sometimes difficult decisions where you have to make yourself look like the yeah. bad guy. Yeah, mm. I, I, I'm, he came across like the good guy all the time. So it's hard to make to make yourself feel like the bad guy when you're always a good guy, I guess. Yeah. So uh, he had that little bit of nastiness about him, though, didn't he? As a player on the field of play, he was unbelievable. He yeah. had uh, he had a real the awareness fight. was unbelievable, wasn't it? As well, he had the a real fastness. Frightening. Yeah, but again, yeah. it's 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 it, Scotty's delivery. You know, yeah. we we came we came off um, having been battered by Everton in the Premier League's second season, this was. Mm. Um, and uh, Jimmy wasn't having the best of games. And Nicky, um, <laughs> Nicky came up alongside me in the tunnel at Everton. And he just said, can I, can I start? Can I open up? And mm. I'm like, uh, sometimes it's better coming from a player. It that's, is, yeah. That's, right. the, that's the way yeah. I was thinking. So yeah. I, yeah. Let, I let Nicky open up and it, it just went, it went too personal. It just went too personal. And then next thing you know, your second half's a disaster. And the game finished, I think we got beat six. I think um, I've heard about this. Is this where he mentions Jimmy's money? How much he's getting paid and stuff like that? Yeah, the, yeah, that, yeah. That's just personal. That's personal. Yeah. It doesn't work. Yeah. It doesn't work as far as no. everyone, no. everyone knows each other's gig, you know, and, and what yeah, you're yeah. worth and this, that, and the other. And if you're not pulling up trees for to for the get that kind of dough, then okay, that's better if it comes from a player. Um, but yeah. it's, at the same time, you've got to maintain your level of of 
when you deliver it, it has Your to be professionalism in, the right... in it as well. Yeah, yes, but it has to, in it. Yeah, your delivery yeah. has to be the right pitch. Yeah, if it just level of frustration. Person, if it just becomes personal, you might as well the rest of the teammates will go out the change room, let them just get on. Yeah, with it, you know? yeah, hundred percent. So while we're talking about these two, then we've got to ask, what actually went down on in the bridge? <laughs> it was, it was the same weekend. Strangely enough, um, so we'd been drugged, uh, known in under known certain terms, by the way, uh, by Everton, and then uh, on the Monday morning we came in. It was the Sunday. The game was on the Sunday. I'm sure it was. And on the Monday morning we brought the players in, and I'm doing my staff meeting, which was at uh, Cottingham, and. Um, I brought all the staff in and we're sitting talking from 7.30 onwards, you know, until the players start coming in, dribs and drabs, about 9.30. So two hours we're talking about what's the best thing forward, how we're going to change, how we're going to do this, how we're going to do that, what we, what went wrong, what can we put right. All of them heavy decisions were being made behind closed doors. And if you ever see the dark side of Brian Horn, my word, on a Monday morning, you saw it. When he had to say something, he said it, you know. Uh, and many a times he would deliver it at me to, to get me up and get yeah. me to do something, you know. And that's the way it was. We had a great relationship. Me and Steve Parkin had a wonderful relationship. That's the reason why we succeeded or, or the success that we had. Anyway, long story short, um, we got to 9.30, quarter 10, and the lads were like sitting in the canteen. What we're doing? What we're doing? Right, Humber Bridge, warm down. Just to, for me, it used to get your head up breathe, yeah. you know, yeah. just have a look around, look at the surroundings, what a fantastic structure, walk across the bridge, jog up, jog across the bridge, just a warm down. Mm. And I'd forgot all about the little rook that Nicky and uh, and Jimmy had. And obviously them two have gone home, they've gone their separate ways, and now they're coming back into work. Mm. Uh, and then it, it had remained personal to the extent where I didn't go and take the warm down. The fitness coach did. And I think, um, if I'm not mistaken, Mark Prudo, goalkeeping coach, fitness coach, and maybe Steve Parkin. And I didn't have a clue that the, uh, I think it was the the, the women's organisation were having a march that day. <laughs> and they were going across yeah, the bridge was. at the same time. Yeah, yeah, that was it. Yeah, it was, yeah. They were going across the bridge at the same time. And the next thing you know, it's coming on the radio, <laughs> back at Cottingham, it's coming on the radio that there's been a fight at... Oh, dear. No, you want to go, you? So That's I'm glad... the worst fight in the world, by the way. Uh, I've got, I, I'm glad I wasn't there. I, I wouldn't want to see... I wouldn't want to pay money for to see that scrap. Oh, my God, no. It's like the YouTube so, you know, boxes nowadays. That's what it is. Yeah. So, so you, know the, you know the build-up prior to the Everton game? Did you ever have, like, a little inkling that these two was, like, loggerheads? Not at all. Or was it just literally at the Everton game, Nicky's adding up... Hundred percent, and it was a lot to do with. It probably was a lot to do with finances, you know. Yeah, because at the end of the day, we took Hull City from from three, four, five grand a week to eventually, you're in your forties, yeah. you know, you're paying forty yeah. grand a week, you know. That's yeah, um, yeah. and that, that in therein lies that the other story about did I believe that Jimmy was going to take us to the next next level? I I firmly believe that. But yeah. the financial side of it, when he got injured in the very first game, that is such bad luck that you yeah. cannot legislate for that. By this, by the same player as well, by Scotty Parker, one tackle, yeah. and then ten months later he gets another tackle and, and puts him out for mm -hmm. a year. I just convinced my board of directors to spend five million on Jimmy Bullard and give him four, in excess of forty grand a week. Yeah. So the next 
player I brought in, in my head, had to be at that level. And it was Bobby yeah. Zamora. Bobby Zamora had Bobby in my head. I couldn't get Bobby out of my head. And, and Bobby had heard that, you know, all of a sudden, Hull City were playing big money. Mm. So um, I had met Bobby, showed him around the area, showed him a, the fishing, you know, at um, the, the various fishing places at Swanland and the surrounding yeah. areas. That's all he was interested in. Away from football, he loved fishing. Yeah, and uh, I just I sold the area to him. I did a, I did a job on him, but he went in excess of Jimmy, and Brian and Steve were like, not sure, not sure, not sure. So instead of Bobby Zamora, we signed Jan Venegor of Hessling and Josie yeah. Altidore. So I got two for the price of one. So one, yeah. But at the same yeah. time, if you ever go into management, Scott, yeah, if you can get the quality, get the whatever it costs you. If the board's willing to pay, it, get the quality. Mm. So Bobby yeah, Zamora, yeah. I think Bobby would have took us into the final third and kept us there longer than yeah, what the yeah. two than what the two guys we brought in, you know. Yeah, I get that. Josie had a bit yeah. of a slip, didn't he? He didn't have the best of times. No, sure. no. No, that's um can you mention this or not? Because uh, I've heard that it was obviously only meant Sam for 40 grand a week, but when he's looked down at his contracts, it's it's 50 instead. Like there's a, a clerical issue there. In he had, he's with Jimmy. No, not as far as I was concerned, no. Right, okay. That's fine. That's, just wanted to stamp out a rumour or not there. So that's fine. <laughs> There's always going to be rumours. Oh, yeah. absolutely. Absolutely. Always rumours. So obviously, you know, the um, the team spirit obviously must have been massive on the build-up. I know we're going back a little bit again to the Bristol City game. Um, who was the hardest, I suppose, player to manage uh, building up to in that season? Because, you know, Phil, people always think, Phil, right, this is gospel truth, all these outsiders think, all footballers get on, the manager gets it. It's, it's nothing like that, is it? You know, you, people only like you as a manager if you're playing them. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, no, you I know. Get these one, do, do you know what I mean? So who was quite, who was quite a challenge to, to, to manage in that aspect? Strangely enough, for different reasons, you know, for for different reasons, and what I mean by that is, if I give Dean Marnie as an in, an example, mm. Dean came from Spurs, and he thought, without being disrespectful, Spurs were a bigger club yeah. than Hull City, obviously. Yeah. Uh, yeah but yeah. he thought because he came from Spurs, he automatically should be playing. Right. And that that because we were bringing better players in at the time, that wasn't the case. So handling Dean and his expectancy. Of what he, what he thought of Hull and what he thought of mm. of the of of me and, and the backroom staff and it, I should be playing every week. I should be playing every week, and I yeah. was putting without a shadow of a doubt. I was putting Ian Ashby ahead of him yeah. on some games, and Ian Ashby for me as the character I am, um, he was first on the team sheet. Uh, yeah. Ash, yeah. whether you liked him or loathed them, he was he was ever present because he's reliable. He was reliable. You know, he wasn't going to be a goal scorer. He wasn't going to do this, wasn't going to do that. But you could actually pick a team around him, protect his weaknesses, which we where he couldn't really get about too much. Yeah. But we played a we played in a four three three where he was the central, pivotal, um, key to the midfield yeah. first and foremost, but also the protection of the two centre halves. I mean, two yeah. centre halves weren't the quickest. You know, Wayne Brown and uh, Michael Turner weren't the quickest. weren't the quickest mm. to, by any stretch of the imagination. But the most important was the, um, the fact that I said to the players, 
because uh, we started getting a little bit jittery. I'm telling you this uh, as, a, as a fact of, of, of a manager seeing it. Started getting a little bit jittery coming towards the latter stages, maybe game 40, if you like, the last six games. And it wasn't the fact that we were playing rubbish football or anything. I just seen one or two things in, in the way people were conducting themselves, probably off the field to play more than anything else. Because mm. uh, you get to know everybody. You're living on top of each other. In a, at yeah, yeah. It was brilliant. What a great training ground. Fantastic. Yeah. And uh, the couple that used to run the training ground for us, uh, Brian and Paula, were, were part and parcel of, of a bigger family that created a success that they probably never got the credit for. Um, mm. There was a cup of coffee waiting for me when I arrived at five o'clock, six o'clock, seven o'clock. No matter what time I arrived, there was breakfast ready for me. If I wanted a bacon sandwich, I could have one. And then that continued all through the day, you know, coffee yeah. whenever you wanted it. And it, it sounds easy, that, but it's not. It's you're creating an environment where you can trust people, yeah. you can rely on them. Uh, and yeah. they lived upstairs and it was just fantastic. Brian loved them. Um, but the point I was going to say was... Tea and biscuits. Uh, the point I was going to say was that we had some lower league players, you know, that had never played in the Premier League. And then getting towards six games to go, they're seeing the Holy Grail, they're seeing the Premier League. And there's a fear factor without a shadow of a doubt, you know. You're getting to see possibly an automatic promotion. I mean, it was only a game away from getting automatic promotion. Yeah. Um, and then we, we hit that jittery moment, I think it was Ipswich away, wasn't it? The second last game of the mm. season? Yeah. Mm. Uh, where we missed out on an automatic promotion. And then we were in the playoffs. And then I'm thinking, wow, what's my sales pitch going to be now? You know, we, we've, we've knocked at the, the door all season now, climaxing mm. with missing out. Um, I just promised everybody, regardless of what deal they wanted, I promised everybody in this changing room would play in the Premier League. Whether it be one game or 38 games, doesn't matter. You play yeah. in the Premier League. So I'm not, I'm not tearing contracts up. I'm not renewing contracts automatically. I'm just saying mm. I will play, including like of Wayne Brown who yeah. Wayne really lacked pace and we're going up another level. Yeah. This lad could yeah. read the game for, for England. He was a great reader. He was he phenomenal. Was great, he was a great mm. passer. But if he come up against out-and-out pace, that's where he might struggle. And yeah. then Michael, Michael's hinges might come off, you know, the wheels might come off yeah. his trolley. So with that in mind, I thought the players trusted me, believed in what I was saying and thought, well, this, this company could be my only chance of playing Premier League football and lo and behold, we got there, you know. Brilliant. I think I, fulfilled, I, I, think I did fulfil yeah. that promise to everybody. Yeah, that's, we, um, that's brilliant. A couple of players you mentioned about those that have played at the lower levels. To mention a couple, would you be along the lines of the Ryan France, uh, Richard Garcia, along those sort of players? Any others that yeah. maybe kind of sort of thought, oh, actually, um, or was it more of a excited, this is, this is it now, we're on our way? I... Loved Andy Dawson. I loved him to bits. I thought he's uh, Mr. Reliable. Not the quickest, not the tallest. Never got done at the back post and hardly ever got done one-on-ones neither. I mean, I remember the day when we won 2-1 at Arsenal. Uh, we had been the previous week at, at um, Spurs and won 1-0 there. And Andy Dawson's coming up against the quickest wingers in Theo Walcott. And, yeah, and um, who was the other one? A uh, little fella um, at Spurs. Aaron Leonard. Aaron Lennon. Lennon. So he's, yeah, caught, yeah. he's caught up against them two in the space of a week or two weeks and never got a crossing. They never got a crossing. Mm. And Andy was like comfortable against this pace because he read the game. He was just composed. 
And then you find out about his family background, you get to know him a little bit better. And he's a rock, you know, the Dawson's are reliable sources, you know, just yeah, it's yeah. probably the way they, they were brought up. Sam Ricketts on the other side, you know, Sam was a little bit more, uh, maybe a little bit more glamorous than Andy, but um, again, reliable on one on ones. That's what mm. fullbacks are paid to do. Yeah. Two stops, yeah. the two stops, the 11, three stops, the seven. Um, yeah, yeah. And when they've done that job, be two centre halves are not getting picked off, you know. Ian Ashby, mm. how can Ian Ashby go from the fourth division through to the Madness. Premier League and yeah. captain every every team? It was Brilliant. just phenomenal. Um, but you go on the on the front line and, and you you think of the guys that we brought in. Caleb Poland did a, a very good job, more or less from the bench though. Yeah. He was yeah. a good impact sub, you know. He was a yeah, good impact yeah. sub. Um, there's, there's loads. I can, you can mention them all, you know. Dean Marnie yeah. actually got to the stage where I thought he did actually become that player. That He, he was yeah. banging on my door telling me what kind of a player. <laughs> and I'm, and I'm saying, do it, on a, do it on a Saturday. And yeah. then eventually he became that player, you know. Did Andy Dawson ever mention that Cruyff stand he did on Ronaldo? <laughs> I remember the, I remember the Croatian like it was yesterday. He loved the Croatian, well, didn't he? He was well, always doing Colin, the Croatian. Colin Murphy did a half-time team talk one day. It was absolutely crazy. <laughs> and uh, Colin was mad in the march here. He was brilliant. He was he was brilliant for a laugh. He was brilliant for the serious side of things. He got me and I got yeah. him every minute of the day. I knew when he was serious. I knew he was on the money. Uh, but... When we were sort of vying for the manager's role, we sort of shared the the uh, the caretaker role, as it were, after Phil Parkinson left. Yeah, and uh, and I, I knew all all along that he was just saying it. He didn't want the job. He didn't want the job. He would love to have worked with me and and, and give got me the opportunity, but he was saying yeah. he wanted the job for to see what I would do. Because if I wanted the job as well, I've got to be better than him, you know. So he was doing it for a reason. His psychology yeah. was brilliant, but. Um, he said to Andy Dawson one time, I think we're on the South Coast, I can't remember where we were playing, it was Plymouth or somewhere like that. And uh, he came in at half time and he started doing his dance in front of Andy Dawson. And I'm like, oh, you've got to start saying something here. You can't just be dancing in front of Dawson. What's, what's he doing here? And he was actually dancing in front of him. And he said, Dawson, will you stop doing this? And he, 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 he was doing this quite right turn. He was doing the crowd turn and the whole change room. I'm looking around, the lads are like biting their lips. It was, it was hilarious. And Dawson's looking at me as if he's waiting for a reaction from me. Yeah. Uh, brilliant. Brilliant. That's quality. Nice. So, Phil, going from Championship manager to Premier League manager, did you have to adapt your approach from Championship to Premier League? Or did you, again, did you just say, listen, I'm not going to change my approach, but lads, listen, you know the levels. That to that is massive. So did you, you know, did you think about the philosophy side or the, the other side of the game? Did you get did you get help from like your vengers? Did the other managers ring you, congratulate you? Do you know what I mean? Was there yeah, any kind I know. of I, I I think I got a lot of help um in the early stages from the likes of Alex Ferguson. Yeah. Um from the likes of Arsene Wenger. Mm. Um not necessarily picking a phone up to me and saying this, 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 and this. Yeah. Just um, the odd occasion, maybe a quote in a, a newspaper column or uh, a quote in a, um, in a programme, notes by, you know, what a great job, blah, blah, blah. Great to see Hull City, new member of the Premier League, 104-year yeah. history, blah, 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 all yeah. of that kind of stuff. But then after 10 games in there, then they, they all realised we were 
we meant business, you know. Yeah. And uh, yeah. And you couldn't underestimate what we were doing. It was, mm. it was a, it was just a fabulous start, you know. Nine nine games in, you got twenty points on board. You're actually yeah. halfway there. You're halfway yeah. there with thirty games to go. Yeah. So with that in mind, they started taking us seriously. And if you remember rightly, I think uh, it was the Portsmouth game, tenth game in. I think it was Portsmouth. Two, two. Uh, we played Portsmouth away. Was it 2-2? Uh, no, I think we got beat. I think we got beat. That was the 10th game and then we went to Sunderland after that. If it's 2-2, I've got it wrong. And that was mm. the moment where I looked at um, uh, who was manager. It would have been Harry. Harry Redknapp. Yeah. Joe Jordan and Kevin Bond was the, the trio. And they absolutely diagonal balled us to death. And I thought, hello, these have done a bit of homework on me. They've said, bring him across here and get, you know, expose the opposite fullback. Whereas it was always, if you mm. remember, if you remember the Arsenal 2-1 where we won, the reason why Dawson had a lot of one-on-ones is because he had Giovanni in front of him. So he had Giovanni yeah. in front of him. And I'm thinking, Giovanni's not going to provide too much protection, but at least he's there, he's blocking it up. Yeah. And, uh, an outlet, yeah. And, yeah. But then yeah. the moment where the game changed for us is when we shoved Giovanni inside and he, he changed the course of the game with that great goal. But... Yeah. Um, you know, the, them little tactical things still clear in my mind that that day where we we, be, we played Portsmouth and we got beat, that was the day that the Premier League started respecting Hull City. Right. Whereas, whereas the first nine games, I think they were, they were actually believing the bookmakers saying that we'll go down as 20th. Yeah. yeah. They were believing the bookmakers were saying that we'll probably get less points than Derby County. You remember yeah. Derby when they, yeah, they I got remember. 12, yeah. 12, 13 points? That was it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So we had so a lot Phil, of motivation. Who, yeah. Who, who surprised you on the touch lad in the Premier League? You know, when you kind of think, I'm not too sure what he's going to be about in a good way and a bad way. You know what I mean? So like Wenger, he's more of a, to me, he's more of a sit down and a, a observer of the game <coughs> where you get the likes of whoever it was, you know, more of a shot on a bowler. Who, who surprised you in that aspect? Mm, surprised or surprised. Um, there was a lot. Um, there was a lot made out where the press were concerned um, about the coaches and the behaviour of the coaches to a certain extent. It, it, it was something I didn't. I didn't really take to because what does it mean? You know, the game starts. What does it mean? What effect? What say if it was yeah. a percentage, Scott? What effect yeah. can we have on that game? You know, mm, uh, yeah. we can have an effect making a change of system. We can have an effect in substitutes and this, that, and the other. But you've done all your work beforehand. So yeah, if you have, if you were born and shouting on the touchline, I, I often look at and I've I've, I've been one all my life. I often yeah. look down the line and I think, what effect are, what effect are you having? Maybe yeah. a little bit on your on your health yourself, mm. you know, <laughs> instead, of, instead of doing yourself a disservice. Yeah. Um, it's them the the quiet deliverers, they're the key, they're the key ones for yeah. me. They're the ones that sort of they're the ones that scare me. I like the ones yeah, that are yeah. ranting and raving. I don't mind the ones that are ranting and raving all day long. Joe Kinnear being one yeah. of them. You know, Joe, Joe, Joe walked down the touchline of me uh, when we played them at Newcastle. And I thought, hello. <laughs> um, the crazy gang's just arriving here. I'm just about, yeah. to, get knocked, I'm just about to get knocked out here. Uh, <laughs> but, but fortunately, the referee intervened. We both got sent to the stand. Sitting out, sitting there yeah. outside of Mike Ashley. <laughs> <laughs> well, the famous one that you must be sick to death of talking about is the famous half-time team talk at Man City. Yeah, yeah. So we asked Brian <laughs> last week, 
did you have a part of it? Did you know? Did Phil get you involved? Blah 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 blah. He just basically said, "Listen, them four thousand fans, they aren't there." You know, show some kind of spunk, I suppose. But how did it come about? You know, everybody. I mean, we must have at least fifteen questions on this. You know what? You know, because to be fair, I think the media took it in a different aspect. To I'm a football person. I seen what you did. I totally got what you did. But to, to some people, it was a no bit public. Bizarre. Yeah, it was a bit bizarre. I honestly thought what you did was correct. I, I've thought long and hard about this. And um, yeah, I've been asked the question a million times. And, and uh, I stick by the fact that I would have done it again. Yeah. Uh, I also stick by the fact that I did it for the fans. Yeah. Um, it was a gesture to them because of what they had done. Uh, yeah. A lot of people don't actually understand what a fan goes through. Uh, mm. Me being one, me being a fan, which I started the podcast with, um, yeah. I've stood on the terraces and I know what it's like to be a part of that uh, team, that environment, that atmosphere. And then when you yeah. get let down by the team, again, I know what it feels like. Uh, you know, you, you you lose it. You want to give them some stick. You want to this, that, that. But I very rarely give my team stick if they were putting a shift in. And I didn't, I didn't yeah. see the shift. I didn't see the shift. And that was a rarity for Hull City. That was something that people couldn't question. Um, if, if opposing managers or coaches were doing a recce on, on Hull City, they would say they're never out of the game. They're never, they're never beaten. You know, they're, yeah. they're always, they've always got a foothold in the game. That They're hard work and this and all the good things that I hear about mm. footballers uh, are the ones that stay in the game, that, that put a shift in, you know. Going back yeah. to me working class days, I suppose. And um, yeah. we had like four and a half, five thousand behind us, behind us, um, the goal. I didn't even think about Rubinho, 33 million. I didn't think about 17 million budget. I wasn't thinking that way. I just said 39th minute, I think the fourth goal went in. And I turned to Nobby, I said, not for me this. And Brian knew what I was talking about because we had a couple of uh, players hadn't uh, behaved properly uh, before the game and the preparation for it, you know. Hadn't behaved mm. properly on Christmas Day. And I've got four and a half thousand, five thousand people. I'd behave properly on Christmas Day to get to the game. And I've got two mm. players representing the club hadn't, hadn't behaved properly, who, yeah. who have remained nameless. Yeah. Um, and I said to Brian, I said, I'm going Until to now. Today. Yeah. <laughs> um, I said to Brian, I'm going to cross it to, to do the team talk. And he went, why not? That was, yeah. his, that was his response, why not? I said it to Steve Parkin. And Steve blew his cheeks out. One, two, sure. Um, yeah. Which is a good opinion as well. They're both good opinions. Yeah, at yeah. The same time, at the same time, the guys had probably three minutes to talk me out of it. Yeah. Um, and then I walked on the pitch at the halftime whistle and I first broke a bump into was Ian Ashby. And Ashby went, Gaffer, where are we going? I said, over there. Team talked over there. He just turned mm-hmm. around. Just turned around, walked, up, walked over. The whole team then turned around and just walked over. I went, "Wow, this is buying for me." So all yeah, the yeah, media, yeah. all the media outlets, I tell you that I lost the change room. He did that. He did this. He did that. I had the change room absolutely where where I needed them, where I wanted them. Yeah, yeah. And they knew. Yeah. They knew. My delivery was all about you know, you know, yeah. you've let this this mob behind. You know, you've mm. let them down. That is not our style of performance. Now I said yeah. it with a lot more f's in it. And yeah, of course, and, yeah. Swear, and swear words, but the delivery yeah. was all about you're letting this group behind us down, you know. They've sacrificed us at Christmas Day and we're not yeah. performing, you know. So, Phil, obviously, I've trained on Christmas Day, 
you don't do much. I get that. You know, you have a little bit of a father side or a little circle or whatever, but it's just that I think it's that mindset of you being in. Yeah. Now, Brian said you didn't come in on Christmas Day. Did that ever affect you to think, what if? True story, Scott. Go back to a guy that we've been talking about, Sam Allardyce. And yeah, I'm, yeah. Doing my, I'm doing my apprenticeship in yeah. management, if you like, at Blackpool. Yeah. And he, Sam yeah. started me off on the, on, the, on the ladder, as it were. And yeah. it was minus nine. I'm driving on the M55. It's Christmas Day morning. It's about half eight. I'm in the car, not hands-free out like that in them days. So I picked the phone up. I said, uh, I said, what we're, we're going to do? It is, Sam. I said, have you seen it? It's minus nine. What are we going to do? Train on the beach. And I think, I can't remember who we were playing the following day. Anyway, long story short, he went, ah, Brownie, he said, he said, take him out. If you can get him out for a little jog and this, can you just get a little bit of a sweat on him and send him back home? I said, yeah. whoa. I said, what about you? Oh, no, he said, had a few to drink last night, you know. I said, if I get in a car now, it'll be a disaster. He said, just just get on with it and, and tell them what the arrangements are for the Boxing Day game. Yeah. That was the moment I thought, if I ever become manager, I will never bring my team in on Christmas Day morning. Now, right. that was driven by uh, a manager who's been there, seen it, and done it, and then thrown, yeah. thrown me under the bus to a certain extent. Right. Not that I couldn't handle it. It wasn't a case of that. Yeah, it was yeah. just a case of I'm, I'm walking into a changing room with a group of players who don't want to be there, they want to be with their yeah. families and this, that, and the other. What benefit do you get from a little five-a-side or a little sweat on? And this, I got yeah. what you said, but yeah. I thought I'll never do it. And I, I, I kid you not, Scott, if you go back to my record on Boxing Day, I've won, I've, I've won a number of games. I've won a number More of games. I haven't, yeah. I, haven't really, I haven't really lost a game on, yeah. on a Boxing Day fixture. And it's because right. I give them Christmas Day off and spend time with your families. But come yeah, in yeah. early enough, Get a dab yeah. down, massage, whatever. You, prepare your minds and that, that gets you in yeah, the game, yeah. game plan, you know. Yeah. On that, you ask for yeah. reciprocation. Yes, absolutely. You can't really... It's not really because... I mean, like you say, I mean, I know you can't name the two people that let you down, but, I mean, I, I, it, it still baffles me, the fact that they're going to... man. You play Man City away. Why uh, would you sacrifice... I don't... I mean, people will say Christmas Day, though, Scott, but listen, you're a footballer. That's the busy time for footballers, isn't it? Really, for me, I just can't get my head around that. Why you that? You know, you do something that would actually one just kind of upset the team in some respect. Yeah. Individually, yeah. you know, you it's bonkers. I'll move on from where it was anyway, and I want to I want to take you into Jimmy this. Bullard. Uh, yeah, so we've been, we've just mentioned the celebration. Um, I mean, we've just mentioned the obviously the halftime team talk. I want to know how you took it. Did you know it was happening? Like. Um, how did you take it? Did you look at it and go, oh, you twat? You, I, I guess you didn't say twat. Um, no, no. I honestly really, I can't emphasise enough how it sort of, uh, it took a bit of pressure off me, you know. it. Um, mm. A lot of people had been talking about the half-time team talk. And I'd been, I'd, I'd done presentations for the League Managers Association. Why did I do it? Uh, this, that and the other. I'd been asked by psychologists. I've been, you name it, I've, I've been asked about it. Um and it is. It's all, it could, you could actually say it's almost a moment of madness, you know, but uh, football gets you that way sometimes. Um, but when we go to Man City a year later and, and uh, the guys have sat down and, and discussed it um, <laughs> about the celebration, it, it, if, if we score a goal and it's a relative goal, you know, relevant goal, yeah, yeah. Um, And they've discussed it at length by all accounts in the hotel. But that was the difference between the Man City game 
the year after and the Man City game on Boxing Day when I did the half-time team talk. Yeah. We hadn't stayed in a hotel overnight because we'd been with the families on Christmas Day and everybody yeah. would travel across in the morning. You know, Manchester's only, what, an hour away if that. So yeah. um, we stayed overnight in the hotel and uh, they had finished their evening meal and they went and played their cards and did what they did and they, just, they all made made reference to this. If if somebody scores, we've got to do the half-time team talk. And uh, I remember making a substitute and uh, Jimmy was getting on my nerves in this game. Jimmy was getting <laughs> right on my nerves. He was he was spending too much time behind the two centre-halves, getting the ball. His biggest pass ratio was probably with Boaz Mayel, the goalkeeper. Yeah. He was getting mm. the ball off the goalkeeper. And, uh, Modern-day game's all about that at the moment. But So yeah. you can say Jimmy was probably head of the game. But I was wanting Jimmy to be more effective further up the field of play. So I made a change and um, I pushed Jimmy into the number 10 role. As soon as yeah. you mentioned number 10 to Jimmy, oh, I'll have some of that. You know, so, <laughs> yeah. Ooh, yeah. yeah. Number yeah. 10. You don't say go and play with the striker or behind the... You know, number 10, Jimmy. Yeah. Number, yeah. number 10. Next thing you know, uh, he, he gets involved higher up the field of play. We look like a little bit more of a threat. We'll get the penalty and Jimmy takes the penalty. Now, I think it was Richard Garcia that I made the substitution with. So I'm now screaming at Gars to come across here. And, and you know, I wanted to get some information, tactical information, on to the field of play. Let's go 4-5-1. Let's take the point now. It was six, six minutes to go or whatever. You know, mm. let's go 4-5-1. Forget about Jimmy playing the number 10 role. Come back in here. Yeah, yeah. Make it. And if he, didn't, if he didn't make the three in midfield or five in midfield, I was going to hook him off. So... That's all I was trying to do. So I didn't see any of it. Truth be known, I didn't see any of it. Next thing wow. you know, final whistle goes. I'm walking down the tunnel. Was Mark Hughes the manager? It was Mark Hughes, wasn't it? Yeah, it was, yeah. I think Mark. so, yeah. So mm. shook his hand, walking down the tunnel. BBC's just to the left-hand side. Match of the day. Uh, can we have a quick... Um, uh, and I, I always had a, a thing where Sam was concerned. Sam used to say, cooling down period. Get away from the game. Get away from the change room. 30 minutes, switch off. Yeah. Gather your thoughts. Get the facts on the game, blah, blah, blah. So don't cool down. And it, they grabbed me straight away. And, and I went, eh, you know, oh, no, we just want to talk to you about the, um, the celebration. So I went, What's, <laughs> what celebration? He said, Jimmy's celebration. Not see Jimmy's celebration. I hadn't seen it. They rewound it in front of me. I just walked away from it <laughs> laughing, laughing my head off. Brilliant. Gets into the changing room. And then I'm watching it on a video behind the screen, screen with the uh, match analysis guy. And by this time, all the players had now traipsed <laughs> into the changing room and high-fiving each other and this and that. And then they realised I was in the changing room. So they all sat down and they were quiet. And next thing you know, they could hear me bellowing in laughter. <laughs> Brilliant. Then realised, oh, we've done okay. <laughs> we've done okay. <laughs> now to do, now to do, we've done okay celebrate. We've done okay getting a point. It was a great yeah, point. Yeah, yeah. No, nah, that's brilliant. Nah, it's, it's best that's way to take it. And that only adds to the camaraderie and the, the, the dressing room, doesn't it? So I want to move on to, as I mentioned before, when on air, the, the uh, tackle fight night. So you understand it. It's, you've got to take a tackle off one, got to fight one, you've got to go on a night out one. Um, and the three names I'm going to give you. Um, <laughs> it's a little bit up and down, you know, I don't know how you're going to say this, but we've got um, John Parkin. Had to nice. be in there. Had to be in there. We all we all know there's rumours. He, he covers all um, three, John. He covers all three. <laughs> <laughs> then we've got um, Ian Ashby. And for the third one, I'm going to go with Michael Turner. Oh, nice one. Ooh. 
Ooh, that's an interesting. So it's a tackle. Yep, a fight. It's a and the night fight. out. The tackle's the not a little out. shoulder barge off the ball. It's no, no, the worst no, one they've no. got in the tank. 1994. Well, <laughs> Uh, oh, I can remember Ian Ashby. I remember as if it was yesterday. Ian Ashby's tackle on um, ooh, at Southend United, and we won the game. He got sent off, and we won the game three two. It was a cool Tuesday night, and uh, Ashby was already in the in the bath. And I realised <laughs> done that tackle. This was right right in the shoulder blades. Six studs. <laughs> oh dear, proper Ian Ashby tackle. Um, so a night out first and foremost would be John Parkin. Now, that sounds like um, it's a criticism or it's a conflict of interest with regards to me and John. John was, John was priceless. He was box office with some of the comments that he used to come out with. Yeah. And he could, he could drink, he could, he could entertain. He was, he was different gravy, you know, absolutely different gravy. So probably going out for a pint would be, or going out for a night out with John Parker. John will probably find that's... That's uh, if he's ever on this podcast, a strange, strange decision. <laughs> a tackle, having just said that about Ian Ashby, uh, I would probably take a tackle off Ash. No, would I? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'd take a tackle off Ash. I'd take oh, a tackle wow. off Ash. The reason Is that why you don't want to fight him, <laughs> no, the re- <laughs> yeah, you could say that. Um, it's probably the reason why I think I was quicker than Ash, even though I was. 49 year old I thought I was quicker than that <laughs> and I could I could probably get I could probably get up the way of that that was brilliant uh, and then, that's a great uh, answer so then you've got uh, I suppose a fight with Michael Turner Mike was just a lovely lad uh, yeah you'd batter ne- Michael Turner all day long never, never really wore the number 5 like a number 5 should wear the number yeah, 5 yeah 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 uh, but uh, yeah Michael Michael would be the fight it, Michael Turner came across to me as sort of guy that you know if he knocked you off the ball he'd apologise afterwards yes yeah, he came across yeah. just like such a, such a gentleman like oh, I'm a sorry a a come on in Phil jump back in tell the story come on what, what, what's this not hatred but he's obviously he's got a podcast out He's, yeah. made it, he's, made it, he's he's very vocal about Phil Brown this, Phil Brown that. Blah, blah, blah. Aye, I mean, aye. don't get me wrong, we're not staring anything, but I, we still don't really know why. It's <laughs> I mean, we understand that players and managers, you're not gonna get on with everybody, and I get that. But is it from uh, is it from the 2006-2007 season? Yeah. Um the only thing I can say where, where John was concerned, um, you know, having having come into Having come from a changing room like Sam Allardyce uh, had run, and, and obviously Scott knows what I'm talking about where this is concerned, I think the the prediction or the preemption of, of what Sam was all about, what the the way he created this sort of mystique in a changing room that it was all technical stuff and mm. we were ahead of the game and this, that and the other, a lot of it was true, and but a lot of it was down to the big fella. He was, there was a lot of fear where that was concerned. And um, I think size sometimes carries its weight without sounding silly. Size sometimes carries its weight and you don't have to pull your fists out because you're there, the size of bloody hell for you. And a lot of people fear it. Um, Now, Sam had had a career uh, that, you know, boasted quite well, but he was, he was a, he was a hard player to play against. You know, he would, he would put his head where boots were flying and stuff like that. Now, when I turned up at, um, at Hull City, Phil Parkinson was this up-and-coming manager that had a career ahead of him, but he was struggling. And uh, I'm still there. 
yeah, yeah, still there, mate. Yeah, still there. Just gone on low battery. Um, Phil Parkinson was, um, as I say, you know, everybody has a um, a duty of responsibility to be the best that they can possibly be for the manager. And uh, I didn't see that in John. I didn't see the commitment. I didn't. I saw ability without a shadow of a doubt. I saw, mm-hmm. I saw a player who could play with both feet. Uh, I saw a player that could certainly use his weight and his height, uh, but he would never really work a channel. He would never really chase lost causes. And I was probably as a striker, um, I was all about that, you know. Yeah. Uh, when you when you could afford to buy the quality in, and and you know, put it in a, a nine or a 10 or a seven and an 11, you know, them, them roles that they play in the front four, all yeah. well and good. But we, we had a career at Bolton Wanderers with Kevin Davies up front. And Kevin Davies was a, a battering ram. He was a leader of the lane. He would work mm. tirelessly. He would chase fullbacks, harry people. He would only get 10, 11 goals in a season. Uh, but the, the amount of goals that we got off him was, mm. was phenomenal. Yeah. Now, I, I saw John as that type of, that type of striker, um, using his using his weight, using his size, using his stature, using his reputation mm. a little bit more, but he he seemed to be hell bent on being the funny man and being the the guy who drank more than anybody else and being the guy who didn't take any notice of anybody. He just had his own life, his own career, right. and I thought he was wasting it. I really did. I thought he I thought he had he had a decent career. Don't get me wrong, but I thought he could have played higher, longer. Uh, yeah. He went to Stoke. He went to Stoke City, didn't he? Um, yeah. He had he had an opportunity. I, I honestly thought, even though he's had a decent career, half decent career, I thought he, he wasted a lot of the talent. Because I, I kid you not, you know, he can say bad things about me. I can say bad things about him. But bottom line is, I respected what he had, but I didn't respect how he used it. Yeah. I didn't respect how he used it. So consequently, when I became the manager. Um, we just slowly but surely started falling out because he was, you know, he's continuing to do the same things that he was doing under Phil Parkinson. I was thinking the first opportunity I get to, to move him on, I'm going to move him on. And as soon as I did move him on, um, the rest history, you know, he, he doesn't like me. It's not a case of I don't like him by any stretch of the imagination. One of the, one of the last games that I had as manager of Swindon Town was in the FA Cup and John was playing up front for York City. And he did everything he possibly could to win that game because he was, he was desperate to prove a point. And I was thinking, yeah, of course. why haven't you done that all your career? Because if you have yeah. done that all your career, you'd be, at a far, you'd be a far wealthier guy. You'd mm. be at a higher level all your career. And you wouldn't be this big lad that everybody laughs and says he can, he can drink 20 pints of Guinness every night, you know? Yeah. What's, what's that all about? I mean, we've come in a full circle here from the, from the first conversation <laughs> that we've had. You know, the game's yeah. moved on. John hasn't moved yeah, on yeah. the game, but the game's moved yeah. on. Yeah. I get that, though, because like you say, I, I mean, I can only go back what Gordon Strachan used to say to the young lads. You know, and it, you don't... You kind of think he's having a go year to start with, but when you mature a little bit and get a little bit older, you, you do. Yeah. It might take <clears> six, <throat> seven years, but you kind of go, ah, you know what? Yeah. So John's obviously not took that on board and he's kind of done that throughout his career with different managers. Because like you say, it's not just you that he's fallen out with. I think he's fallen out with a few over the years. Scott, I go like back to see. what we talked. It comes in, it swings a whole round in, in, in a circle yeah. here. Uh, when yeah. I said to you, if somebody had said to me at 19-year-old, you go through your career without any alcohol whatsoever yeah, yeah, and what, yeah. what you would have achieved. And I don't know what, where I would have got yeah. to. 
Yeah, you know, that's somebody, right. somebody might have put that into John or it's already in John. John's gone, no, yeah. I'm going to live my life. I'm going to enjoy myself. And at the yeah. same time, I can still be the best player on the park and I can still score the goal that wins a mm. game of football, but I'm just yeah. going to do it my way. I, yeah. I respect that. Fair enough. Get yeah. on with it. Yeah, yeah, that, uh, yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, I do see that. Like you say, it is, it's a tough one. Like you say, he was very, very gifted, wasn't he? And very yeah. strong. So yeah. hard to play against, unbelievable. Yeah, good technically he was brilliant. Yeah. It's, it's fair. Such a looking at it sometimes. Very good. Yeah, very good. And like you say, he's a good character. He really is. He, you know, the, the, you can't really say anything bad about him because what I've seen of him, I'm seen him play. Superb. Really good. I've, I've never been one to hold grudges or, or no. <laughs> right, we'll do quick fire questions. Favorite player you managed at Hull City. Uh, just um, ironic. <laughs> I thought that was a strange. It was a strange look from you. Um, I thought it was a clue. I was like, no, 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 this one out. No, no, no. The missus just put a beer in front of me. I'm, I'm fully talking out here. Uh, the favourite player I managed. Mm. I've got to say it that Dean Windus has got to be up there. Really. And I'm only saying favourite because he was at that stage in his career where he was no he was no longer the manager's nightmare. He was no longer trying to be the guy that was proving the point all the time and yeah. in your face and knocking at your door on a Monday morning. He would say it, he would subtly say it, but at the same time he accepted that he was 39 and he wasn't he wasn't the nightmare that he had been for other managers. So <laughs> I would have said I, I really enjoyed working with Dean and Nicky Barmby, to be fair, and Nicky Barmby. The favourite place to eat and drink in Hull? Uh, Medici's, without a shadow of a doubt. Um, Ferby, yeah. yeah, North Ferriby. It was um, just up the road from the um, from the training, well, where the uh, reserves played, yeah. North Ferriby United. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, I had a place in uh, in North Ferriby and uh, I used to go to Medici's too a couple of times a week. Brilliant. Your best every, signing? Every time I, every time oh. I, well, every time I met a player, you go on to sign Every time oh. I met a player... I had 100% success going to Medici. <laughs> there you go. So who's your best signing? Best signing. Ooh. Great question. It has to be Fraser Campbell. Yeah. I think Fraser Campbell. He brought a new dimension to us as a, as a strike force. Phil, what's the rumour that Michael Owen was a possibility to sign for Hull? Or was it just a rumour? It was a strong rumour. Um, I had conversations with him. Um, and it was it was a case of, I don't think we were big enough for him. And that's not being disrespectful. I don't think we had, we had been in the Premier League long enough, you know. And I'd had a, a history of Sam Allardyce at Bolton Wanderers on a regular basis, doing miracle signings, you know, JJ Kocha, Yuri Yorkayev, Ivan Campo, Fernando Hierro, Vincent Candela, you know, Stelios Janikopoulos. Every time a new, another player come in, this player had won a European title. He'd won, uh, uh, you know, seven times a, a winner of the, the Greek leagues, Stelios Janikopoulos yeah. with, with Olympiakos, you know, and then he comes and signs for Bolton Wonder. So it was one of them where I don't think he should ever laugh at the possibility with agents about and so, certainly the amount of money that's around 
She yeah. never laughed at the, possi- the possibility that, by the way, we could be saying to make a loan. You know, that mm. you've got to broach the subject and see when you start hitting everybody saying no, then you know it's not a possibility. But there was yeah. a few yeses. There was a few yeses leading up to it. Mm. Oh, that's good. So was there any yeah. that got away, Phil? Uh, I think Bobby's the biggest one, Bobby Zamora. Um, and he didn't, he didn't get away because he didn't want to come. He really did want to come. I just had to make a big decision. It's probably the reason why I'm not, I'm not saying now, not, not whole city manager, but probably the reason, one of the main reasons why I didn't survive that year. If I'd have seen Bobby Zamora, I think I would have. I think, yeah. um, I think Jan Venegor of Hessling, albeit he did well at Celtic. Um, yeah. You know, the Premier League in England compared different to Scotland, level. different level. And then Josie Altidore um, wasn't mature enough. Oh, that's his back. Oh, oh. Josie, oh, yeah. it's, it's on its way. It's got about 1% now. Um, <laughs> Josie Altidore wasn't mature enough. If he had the maturity that he's got now, he would have been a player. But uh, he wasn't mature enough. Final question, Phil. What is the future holding for you? Um, I'm probably thinking about the director of football role now um, as a possibility I've had a couple of conversations with teams uh, with owners and uh, it may be a time for that you know it's um, I've done a fair stint in football and certainly in football management um, maybe to lend a little bit of advice to a younger manager um, without putting a threat on him or without yeah. causing a threat over him. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Maybe may be a possible way forward. What's your lowest level then that you'd go to? Or is the, you're not bothered about levels? I think you've got to consider it all. You know, I think there's a, when you go to a lower level, you've got to understand that if, if you're at the Premier League, it's a project. If you're at a lower level, it's a project, you know. But you've got yeah. to understand also that how, you've got to ask the right questions to find out how sincere and how, how serious they are about the project. And how much yeah, yeah. The, it's not just about money, it's how far yeah. you how far you're prepared to go. And yeah, uh, if, if they're on the same page as me and vice versa, I'm not saying it's all about me by by that. No, no, no. Uh, no. I'm just saying if, if they're on the same page, then I'll go anywhere. Brilliant. So obviously I've got an academy, SG Pathway. <laughs> so uh, Phil, if you're out of work, mate, I'm happy to take you on board. <laughs> oh, well done. I've got 10% battery now. Well done. Oh, oh there you go. I've got 10% that, battery that, now. That almost finished on a high, didn't it? <laughs> there you go. I'm, I'm, Matt, I'm assuming he doesn't want nothing to do with SG Pathway. <laughs> the, the smile was generous, mate. The smile there was generous. Go. There you send, go. Me the, send me the contract. 100%, mate. I'm just, to be fair, it's here now, mate, if you want it, look. <laughs> no, honestly, Matt, you end it then, mate, because it's been brilliant. It really has. No, it's been a pleasure. Um, Phil, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on board. I mean, we'd love to have you come back because I've still got a, a whiteboard full of stuff I'd like to ask you, obviously, um, battery permitting. But like, it's been a pleasure having you on board. For anybody who's tuned in, listened, um, thank you very much for that. If you haven't already, please like, follow, subscribe. Everything's in the bio, so please check us out. Again, Phil, it's been an absolute pleasure. Scott, just as brilliant. Thanks thank you. Me. Cheers, Phil, lads. I really appreciate it. Top man, take care, mate. Brilliant. Thank you. Cheers. Bye-bye. See you later, Phil.